0: This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho, featuring inspirational and fascinating personal stories of people from all corners of the globe who are now in St. Louis. We'll take a look at the U.S. through newcomers' eyes, get some insight into world history and cultures, and maybe learn something about ourselves. Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL welcome back to stories of new americans um, thank you for joining us i have a guest today from the country of montenegro Davorka marovich welcome thank you for coming
1: thank you ron thank you for having me
0: it's great to see you again we worked together a while back and so nice to kind of reconnect um, and your story your personal story is very interesting, but as usual, I like to kind of set the scene, uh, you know, where your country is and sort of a little bit about your country's history and culture, and then we'll segue into your personal story. So we said you're from Montenegro, mm-hmm. and I think that literally means Black Mountain, right? Yes, that's in, correct. I guess uh-huh. that's Latin. And then in your uh-huh. language, it's... Cernagora, which also means Black Mountain. That's right. Okay. Where is it? Geographically, where would you find this on the map?
1: So, Montenegro, it's one of the smallest countries in southern Europe. And if you try to visualize its location, um, what we have around Montenegro, on the northern side, it's Serbia. And then we have Bosnia and Herzegovina, kind of southwest. And on the western side, is Croatia. Uh, down on the eastern, southeast, it's Albania. And mm. way, way down south, it's Greece. And then right across from me, where I was, uh, where I grew up, is Italy. Mm. And in between Italy and Montenegro, it's Adriatic Sea.
0: Adriatic Sea with the beautiful blue water. <laughs> yes. So you're, part of Montenegro is actually on the sea then? Yes. Yeah. So is it kind of a popular tourist place? Oh my
1: god, it's so popular, yes, yeah. In the mm. last, I would say, 10 years, it's one of the most popular uh, location mm. visit
0: uh, wow. in
1: Mediterranean.
0: Okay. Yep. Now, you know, you said it's a small country. I think I saw it was like 600,000 people.
1: Yeah, about 619,000.
0: Okay, that's really small. In country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, based on its location, obviously it was the crossroads for many, Powers through history, but I guess most recently it was part of Yugoslavia for 45 years or so. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I people may not have heard of Montenegro, but I'm sure they are familiar with Yugoslavia. And as many pe- pe- people in St. Louis know, Bosnia was also a part of Yugoslavia. Right. Can you talk about Yugoslavia and what the republics were, what it consisted of, and why it? was formed and why it broke up a little, well, we'll get into the breakup later, but why it was formed in the first place.
1: Yeah, so I'll start a tiny bit about history. Um, So what we know about Montenegro, you know, it has roots in like Illyrian tribes and kingdoms. Thousands of years ago. Yes, thousands of years ago, and then uh, part of the Montenegro was under like Venetian Republic from like 1400s till like 1796, I think. And then part of uh, Fran- France during Napoleon and then Austro-Hungarian and Ottoman Empire. So there are like lots of yeah. cultures and civilizations that have been through there. And then in a, uh, after the second World War, it became Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, and I think that's something that you want to um, learn a little bit more
0: about. Yeah. So, um, w- so, what 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 did that consist of? What what, so what the, are they're now countries, but what republics were part of Yugoslavia? So it was
1: Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, uh, Montenegro, and Macedonia, and then two provinces, Vojvodina and Kosovo.
0: Okay. Yeah. And um, they had been, many of them had been independent countries at some point in history. But why was it thought a good idea to bring them all together under in one country after the war? Do you know?
1: Well, I am... Um I know before that Montenegro was a kingdom. Yeah. Um, I am not sure why it was the idea. All I remember that during that time, Tito was the president. I remember he said no to both uh, Stalin and, you know, um, uh, both blocks. East NATO, and West. Yes, NATO and uh, the, the, the Warsaw mm-hmm. uh, Pact. Um, and he started non-aligned countries with Nehru and Acer president of India and uh, president of Egypt. So Yugoslavia was the only non-aligned, meaning it didn't be belong to either bloc. Yeah. And I'm not sure how he pulled that. Well, it,
0: <laughs> it yeah, I mean, it, it, from what I understand, it was a successful Yugoslavia was a very successful country for a long time. Yes. And um, it, as you say, it was sort of not part of NATO, not part of Warsaw Pact. It was right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And he must have been doing something right. This Tito, he was able right. to bring you know so many different ethnicities religions yeah. under yeah. one roof and i think what what tell me the slogan that he used on, in yugoslavia Bratstvo jedinstvo. which translates to english uh, Bro-
1: brotherhood and unity yeah yeah
0: so that was the goal and and mm-hmm. did that did, did was it actually in reality a brotherhood and unity among all these groups or was it more fractured than.
1: Honestly, when I was a child, that's what I believed in and that's what I have experienced. I have never heard any ethnocentric um, like remark mm. or some, you know, different uh, ethnic groups being put down. At, at least that was my personal experience, you know. I, mean, I remember I have friends from different backgrounds, nobody really paid attention if somebody was Croat. Yeah. Bosnium who was Muslim, or you know, we yeah. truly were taught to respect all ethnicities and religions. Yeah. and in in that Bratvui and
0: it is rather than usually. And you know, some of those like Cro- uh, some of those parts of Yugoslavia were at war with each other over you know, in the course of it. like Croatia was allied with the Nazis, I think, in okay. World War Two, and yeah. so they were basically at war with Serbia, or mm-hmm. but. Tito, I've heard that I've heard Bosi and some of that Tito was probably the only person that could have actually brought all these people together under one "quote unquote" under one roof. Yeah, and that he died in 1980. Yes, right. And then how how did things change after his death, if at all?
1: Well, it all kind of started to fall apart gradually. Mm-hmm. You know. And then, as you know, in early '90s, yeah. war started, like at Slovenia, it started to separate, and Croatia, and then in Bosnia was really horrible. They really suffered the most.
0: So these republics were were seceding basically from Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. and um, you know that was at the same time when Berlin Wall fell, or a little yes. bit after that, and everything was changing in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. So it was. I think it's so ironic that. Yugoslavia was always the most um you know peaceful and prosperous yeah, and yes. yes you know independent mm-hmm. democratic country yeah. of east, and they're the ones that had the most yeah. bloody breakup.
1: Yeah. I mean it's, it's it's really shocking. I mean to this day I'm still kind yeah. of believe that, that happened because when I was a child <laughs> I felt very safe. Yeah. We had good relationship with the east and west. I traveled everywhere. We didn't even need you know, uh, any special like visas.
0: So, you know? as a Yugoslavian citizen, you could travel anywhere without, like, I know, like.
1: I remember going to England every summer, really? visit my aunt, and I went to school there. I don't know if I needed a visa for England. I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't remember I, going to like an embassy. And we would go to Italy, like, shopping because it was nearby. We, I, I remember wow. going to Bulgaria, which was part of, you know, the yeah. uh, real communist. So I don't remember having ever any issues or going M- to embassies. The only time I had to go to embassy was when I was coming to the United
0: States. That was very complex. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. But my 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 understanding is that people from say Bulgaria or yeah. or you know East Germany yeah. would not have been able to travel to no. Western Europe as easily no. as you guys did.
1: No, because they were part of that
0: worship path. Mm-hmm.
1: And it was very different. Like if you went if you Visit to Bulgaria versus Yugoslavia was not the same. Really? Oh no, God! Oh God! No, no. <laughs> you could see but
0: gigantic difference. Was there a bigger difference between Bulgaria and Yugoslavia than, say, Italy and Yugoslavia?
1: Um, I, I maybe because I grew up in a south, you know. I felt, you know, we were very progressive, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. and I remember when I was a child, I, I never saw like one homeless person or. Hmm just, you know, I felt super safe. I yeah. could go anywhere around the cities. I remember as a kid, we would hitchhike sometimes. Mm. <laughs> you would never do that here, you know, because it was really safe, you know? There and, was no crime, and yeah, and people were taken care of. You know, our healthcare was really good. Um, you could um, go to a doctor, and we had excellent doctors. I don't ever remember waiting to see a doctor for months. Like, you mm-hmm. do that here, paying all this crazy amounts of money, mm. you know? So we had <laughs> really good healthcare, we had excellent education, so, and free. Yeah. Healthcare, free education, and then people were really taking care of, as I said, if somebody was elderly,
0: yeah.
1: or people who couldn't work, you know, they will get uh, flats by government, you know, a housing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I don't, remember ever seeing one homeless person
0: did you you travel to the other yugoslav republics frequently
1: yes we did We school we traveled to uh all over the country Mm. yeah
0: okay and i believe more or less people spoke the same language except for a couple of the republics right
1: yes so we learned serbo-creation Uh, which was pretty much the same, like you know, like different dialects, Mm -hmm. um, except Slovenia and Macedonia, it's a bit different.
0: But they were related, they were Slavic languages, right?
1: Yeah, still Slavic, yeah.
0: Uh But Bosnians, Croatians, Serbians, and Montenegrins Uh more or less spoke the same language with slight differences. Yes, at at that time. mm -hmm, And it was called Serbo-Croatian at the time. Yes, yes. Okay, and then, I want to get into your story a little bit later, but you came here before the wars happened yeah, in Yugoslavia, before, right? The high school, yes. Okay, and then um, I know we could spend a whole week on the wars, but basically, can we just, in a nutshell, kind of what led to the breakup of Yugoslavia and what led to us getting Bosnian refugees in St. Louis? I'm it's a, it's very not complicated. Sure, what the
1: root cause
0: is, or what the truth is. You know,
1: as I mentioned earlier, when Tito died, things started changing and falling apart, and I I, I know certain (laughs) republics wanted to separate. Um, This was all kind of early
0: 90s. Yeah, and his, his, Tito's slogan of brotherhood and unity, did that kind of fall fall away after he died? Yeah. Because it was, okay, so there, okay.
1: I mean, I was a young child then, you know, so. I, I just remember my parents crying, like when he died. They were really
0: yeah, dead. I've heard he, that. Really loved him. I
1: mm-hmm. mean, we had very carefree childhood. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, we, I mean, i think of my generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. At any rate, it it Yugoslavia did fall apart in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. The first, as you say, maybe Macedonia or Macedonia was the first one to secede. I think
1: Slovenia was the first one
0: I remember okay. correctly. But Mas- Macedon. Okay we say Macedonia you yeah. say Macedonia that was a more of a peaceful secession yeah. whereas Slovenia was a uh, bri- relatively brief yeah. bri- war
1: but Croatia had some yeah it was not mm-hmm. was bad and yeah. Bosnia had some it was horrible
0: hor- yeah.
1: horrible yeah horrible atrocities there
0: yeah so the, 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 I guess the, the trust that Tito had instilled in people had fallen apart and, yeah. and, and um, you know my understanding was a lot of um, maybe politicians and others yes. kind of used yes. ethnicity and religion to exactly. divide people.
1: Exactly, that's true.
0: And um, that led to bad things, and we see that happening in other yeah. places around the world now, too. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I think Montenegro was the last republic to actually secede. Yes, And peacefully. Peace, peacefully, yeah. yeah. Serbia and Montenegro. In fact, the country was eventually called the Serbia, Montenegro, Republic, or something like yes, that, for a while. Yes.
1: It was Serbia and Montenegro, and then Montenegro separated in June of, I think, 2006 or seven.
0: Do you know why it it stayed with Serbia as long as it did, whereas the other ones seceded more?
1: Well, Montenegro is really small. Okay. In those days, I think the population was about maybe. Six hundred and ten thousand, and I think Serbia had seven point six million.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so it's yeah, I and they uh, I think it's they're not easy to separate, and I don't know how much people really wanted that.
0: Truly, I feel like Serbia. I guess Serbian culture and Montenegrin culture are pretty close, right?
1: Yeah, yeah they're both mostly like Eastern Orthodox.
0: Yeah, religion, same more or less the same religion with yeah. not hundred percent, but yeah. And um, now, I from what I've heard from people. Um, we mentioned before that the language was more or less the same serbo-croatian but it's like serbian language croatian language Bosnian language are becoming more distinct yes and that might be due to more political reasons but is is the quote-unquote montenegrin language becoming more of a separate language too now
1: yes yes actually also there are some new letters which i didn't learn when i was a child now that i integrated into the language do you
0: use the cyrillic alphabet or yeah, latin we cyrillic. So okay
1: cyrillic uh, uh serbian yeah serbian montenegro use the cyrillic alphabet
0: yeah okay well why don't we take a short break here now and we'll come back and get into your personal story which is interesting um you're listening to stories of new americans on 101.9 94.1 news talk stl Stories of New Americans, brought to you by... Byrich and Ramich Law Office and Attorney Neddy Romich. Visit them at brlegal.net. You're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome back. We're talking with Dvorka Marovic from Montenegro, who we we're just kind of getting a... Little history lesson and culture lesson, but I want to talk about your individual story first because, you know, this, this is an, We're going to talk to people from other former Yugoslav republics too, Bosnia, Croatia, Serbia, uh-huh. at least. I'm hoping to get people from Slovenia and Macedonia too, but um, you're the first that from the former Yugoslavia. And you, we were talking about how your childhood was pretty nice. You mm-hmm. traveled a lot. You lived. Did you live close to the beach?
1: Yes, I grew up. On the Adriatic.
0: So, were there a lot of tourists there Side. in the Yugoslavia era too, like from Western Europe or other when countries? As a
1: kid, yeah, I remember seeing cruise ships and really? you know, a lot of tourists coming. Yeah, it was really lovely. Talk yeah.
0: Talk about your schooling. Did you go to a, a public school, elementary? I'm talking about, yes. like, as a child.
1: Yeah, we had. We did not have a. We didn't have private school. Okay. It was a socialist country. So, my elementary school was like, not even five minutes away from my house. Mm. That was really lovely. And if I remember correctly, started at eight and ended by noon. Really? And and we had a lunch break in between. So, it was pretty easy. There was not a lot of pressure, but we had all different subjects, you know. Math, biology, geography. physical exercise, art, uh, music, you know, yeah.
0: English, did you study English?
1: English, we started to study in fifth grade. So starting fifth grade, English, and then in high school, uh, we also had to add another language. Like for me, it was German. Mm. Yeah, and then you could also add an extra if you want, like I had one year of French, one year of Italian as well. Um, But when I was in middle school, I think school ended one p.m., so it wasn't as long as here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have to wear uniforms in high school. I think middle school too. Yeah.
0: Did you go to school on Saturdays too? No. Okay. No. But it was a shorter day than yeah. okay. But you, I'm sure you had a lot of homework. Probably a lot more homework than Not many as of. Not just here. Really?
1: No. God, no. <laughs> no. No. Okay,
0: I would have expected more.
1: Uh, no, but our schools are harder than here, you know? When I came to go to college in United States, it was in Florida, University of Tampa, in Tampa, Florida. It was easy for me, much easier, because our high schools were hard, mm. even though days were shorter. Interesting. And we had less homework, I don't know, I just, um, I think the way we study, or what we study, it's, it's um, you know, more intense material, you know?
0: How many students would be in a class typically? Was it a large class or small?
1: Maybe 20, 25. Okay. Maybe there was one class, I don't know, maybe even up to 30, if I remember correctly.
0: And what, what were you, do you remember what you were taught about the United States? Was the United States seen as a friend, ally to Yugoslavia? more so than Soviet Union or where they I know they tried to stay non-aligned but what yeah. was your what was your image of USA and if you remember what was how was it depicted in your History classes. Are it
1: was really positive. Okay. You know, I remember learning in history classes, how much they helped, you know, during the Second World War. And I remember hearing even stories from like older people how Americans would drop food after, mm. you know, during the Second World War. I mean, it was only positive. Mm-hmm. It was really mostly positive until NATO bombing in 1999. No. Oh. okay. And that has changed a lot. Yeah. Like how people look at the United States since
0: Yeah, yeah yeah okay um what what did kids do for fun in your community were there I, probably soccer was popular are there other were there uh, dances and
1: yeah so the south where I'm from water polo is oh. the biggest sport and then we also have like uh volleyball and soccer and basketball and you know those regattas like with the little boats Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, competing, mm-hmm. that's pretty popular where I am from, uh, yeah.
0: And American music was popular, yeah, TV, American movies? Music, American
1: shows, we were always watching American shows, and mm. I remember that's what I mostly...
0: What watched. were some of the American TV shows that were popular when you were a kid, do you remember?
1: God, what was it, when I was a kid, I remember watching something, it wasn't a Star <laughs> Trek, but it was something I had to do with uh, <laughs> planets, <laughs> okay. and different species, and... Uh, What else did we watch? Um, I know later on like 90210
0: and stuff like that. I heard that from a lot of Bosnians. They like Beverly Hills 90210. (laughs) And they were surprised when every house didn't have a swimming pool in the backyard. The dynasty show. Oh boy. Yeah, that's real life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Well, then you said you came to study in Florida. How did that come about? You came as a student before yeah. the wars?
1: Yes. I, to
0: study what?
1: Psychology. Okay. So, I came uh, because my aunt, my dad's sister, lived in California and she she uh, talked to me about uh, coming to the United States if I wanted to. So, and she moved from California to Florida. Okay. She would stay with me for a little bit and then she would go back to Europe. So I was alone, you know, like six months by myself.
0: Were you a graduate student or undergraduate?
1: Undergraduate.
0: So did you live in a dormitory? No, I live in my aunt's condo. (laughs) Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. Well, how was your English when you came?
1: It was pretty good because I went to English school, you know, in in summers in London. Oh, Um, oh. but I still had to take uh, certain tests I had to pass in order to uh, uh-huh. go to the university.
0: Was that your first time to come to the United States when you came as a student? Yep. Was that challenging, like bureaucratically and that all that stuff? Was
1: one of the hardest times in my life. Oh boy! You know, I was young. I was a teenager. I didn't know how to drive. I, I didn't know how to take public transportation and I never really did, like, you mm. know, bus. I have no idea, <laughs> I would be scared to do that uh, to this day. Um, and I, it was just uh, so hard, everything, you know, I, I didn't know how to sign up for classes, you know, it was really complicated and, and very isolating. I didn't know anybody, like my aunt was there for a little bit and then she would go back to Europe. I was by myself. I didn't know people. So, you know, I felt lonely. It was really terrible from that, you know, because I grew up in a very lively culture where you know everyone. People, you go outside, there are people everywhere, cafes and markets and swimming. And, you know, there's so much happening. And then I came to Florida and, you know where my aunt lived it was peaceful and quiet there were no people I didn't hmm. university <laughs> I couldn't get around wow. it was really I had to learn how to drive it was very hard um, food was different I gained a bunch of weight, just like most people who come here because you know uh, where I come from it's really beat, very clean and healthy yeah
0: <laughs> did so. were there was there anybody else from your country in the, in the area I don't know anybody no one did Wow, was there like a program at college to help newcomers and get you in, yeah. involved? Or?
1: Yes, I joined um, uh, like a group for multicultural, I don't know how they call it, international students, yeah,
0: okay. international, Okay. Yeah. and they helped. Were there a lot of international students then? Uh,
1: not that many, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, some handful, and I, I, most of my friends at that time are from different countries.
0: Really, yeah. do you remember what countries?
1: Well, uh, mostly South American, oh, okay. or, or not. One was like a Panama, Brazil, um, Argentina, mostly, yes.
0: Mm. Yeah. What did you notice, like cultural differences between Yugoslavia and America when you came here, if you can remember? You said that people don't walk on the street here like they did back home, but anything else?
1: Well... You know, I mentioned earlier, like healthcare, education, oh. that's all very different, lifestyle. Yeah. People have there more time for their family.
0: Back home? Yes, yeah. you
1: know, like, I mean, we, every day when I was a kid, we ate <laughs> at the table and had conversations, you Yeah. Know. People are very busy
0: here. Yeah.
1: You know. So and-
0: when you come home from school at one o'clock, were your parents also home from work at that time? I I was in Germany, and that's how it was in Germany. The schools would finish at 12 or 1, and then the parents would take like a two-hour break from work, and the family I stayed with, we all had lunch. I mean, lunch was the main meal of the day. We'd all have lunch together. Mm -hmm. Was it like that there, too?
1: Yeah, my parents worked to like three or four, but my grandfather was at home. So that was another, you know, nice uh, thing that I experienced. You know, my... uh, Grandparents are really important in mm. <laughs> yeah. and Extended family members, you know? So, and I, I feel people don't have that here, you know?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah our, my grandpa- Some
0: do. Yeah. Some um, still do.
1: Yeah, but it's not, yeah. you know, like my country. Mm-hmm. You know, and typically, I mean, they don't end up in a nursing homes. I mean, that would be seen as tragic.
0: Mm. yeah. Well, um, you came here to study psychology. You said, uh-huh. "Did you have a, a, a professional goal in mind when you did that?" Or we're going to talk about what your, your profession is now in a few minutes. But how did? What was your professional goal when you came here. Did you wanna what did you wanna become or do?
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure. I changed my major three times. Oh my aunt studied psychology and she worked in California in that field. So I think I was really influenced by her. And then I remember when I was in college I talked to my school counselor and um, you know, after changing my major a couple of times I decided to study psychology and that has been really my passion since then. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then you let's talk about what your career became after you finished your your studies there and then talk about how you eventually wound up in St. Louis and...
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I lived in Florida and my, got my BA in psychology and then I, I met my uh, ex-husband at the same school, University of Tampa. He is from St. Louis, mm. so that's how I ended up here. And uh, when I came to St. Louis, I went to graduate school and at the uh, University of Missouri, got my Master's in, in counseling, counseling, yes. And then I also did a two-year program at uh, St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute. And now I am working on my PhD. I'm finishing my second year. So, um, yeah, I'm very passionate about what I
0: do, I think. Okay. You you finished your your graduate program in counseling, and then talk about your the, the jobs that you have had over the years so here.
1: So when I graduated with my master's in two thousand one, I started to work for War Trauma Recovery Project Agency, and that agency provided mental health services to refugees who came from war zones and were diagno- diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder, and you know, depression, adjustment issues, mm-hmm. uh, anxiety and so on, but mostly uh, PTSD. And then after working for them, I uh, I left after about four years and started to work for the Center for Survivors of Torture and War Trauma. I was there uh, for about 13 years. Mm. I was there uh, as a clinical supervisor, And then in 2016, the center uh, merged with Bilingual International Assistance Agency. I I worked there for one year as the uh, clinical director. And then in 2017, I started my private practice in uh, Clayton.
0: Are you still working with immigrants and refugees now?
1: Not so much. I have a handful of clients Mm -hmm. uh, who are... um, Refugees. I have some clients who are immigrant and sometimes I I assist some agencies with some uh, like a citizenship assessment stuff like that, if necessary. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I do like a mental health evaluations, but majority of my clients are Americans.
0: That must have been really, right yeah, so it's it's not really PTSD, well, maybe it is PTSD sometimes, but pri- primarily not.
1: Right now, yeah.
0: yeah. But it must have been, I mean, you worked with refugees for 13 or 14 years, that, that must have been really, wow, it must have been really yeah. emotionally draining to hear the stories.
1: Yeah, it's not easy, and that's something I study now in my program, you know, how, people, emotional states affecting therapists because what we know about brain uh, and all those research that's coming from neuroscience, you know, it's just kind of new. We didn't know that at that time, yeah. you know, but they, all of that is affecting us. I mean, when you are constantly listening
0: mm-hmm. to these
1: stories, you know, day after day, you know, it, it, it does affect you.
0: How did you- your brain, too. Yeah, how did you, like, I guess, what kind of self-care did you use to help yourself Deal with all that story, all the stories you were hearing.
1: Well, I kind of learned hard way okay. because I did really, I, when I left in 2017, I was completely exhausted,
0: mm.
1: burned out.
0: Yeah, because. burnout, for sure. I
1: had a terrible sleep issues and it really it took me a long time to recover. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, now I'm really good about my self-care, but I don't think I was at the time. Mm-hmm. I said, I, you know, I didn't know as much um, how trauma, you know, listening to trauma can affect uh, at least the listener, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. What what countries were your clients from when you were working at the center and at uh, the War Trauma Recovery oh Project?
1: Gosh. From all over. I mean, I had a lot of Bosnians, I had um, Iraqi, Iranian, Afghani, Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, Azerbaijan, Chechnya, mm. um Oh gosh.
0: So I, I I don't I don't think you speak all those languages so you, you but South you America. so you, so you use interpreters yeah. for some of them I guess, right? Yes. Was that a challenge using interpreters?
1: Sometimes it was very challenging because it was not really interpreted correctly mm. or sometimes interpreter wouldn't do the best job. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that was challenging, yeah.
0: And I think you know, from my work in this field too, um, clients are often hesitant to speak with an interpreter because in some of these smaller communities, mm-hmm. they all know each other and they're afraid that the interpreter will go out and spread gossip in the community, although, yes. you know... If, they don't. If they work for a reputable agency, they must not. But I think the, the fear is still there with a lot of clients. It
1: happened in the past. Does it? I remember. Yes, I remember exactly that happening. So when I work with my Bosnian clients, many of them are relieved that I could speak the language mm. and they don't have to worry about that.
0: Yeah, we're gonna talk, get into this with your extensive work with Bosnians in a minute. But we need to take a sh- another short break. This is one hundred one point nine ninety four point one News Talk STL. <laughs> Stories of New Americans, brought to you by Global Transport, for trucking, logistics, and warehousing. Visit them at globaltransport.us.com. This is Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome back. We're talking with Dvorak Marovic, and we were talking a little bit about her work with... Um, clients in uh, providing mental health therapy to clients and you mentioned that uh, is it safe to say that Bosnians were your main um, client base of all the people you work with?
1: Yes, when I was at the Center
0: for (laughs) Uh huh. And that's partly because we have such a large community here. Yes. Partly also because you speak the same language. Yeah. But you are from Montenegro and they are from Bosnia. Montenegro is the most closely aligned former Republic with Serbia, which Mm -hmm. you know, Bosnians and Serbians had problems in the war and, you know, they they were they, they suffered from Serbian aggression. So was there hesitation to to open up to you as a therapist because of your connection, whether it was valid or not, with Serbia writ large? So
1: when I graduated uh, in two thousand and one, I was the first licensed therapist who spoke those languages. Uh, later on, there were other people, but you know there was a, such a huge need. There was a huge number of Bosnians that they settled here. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I felt. Responsibility mm-hmm. to help, especially because I was trained and had knowledge, and luckily the agency, uh, you know, War Trauma Recovery Project, uh, a- approached me, and I think actually I met him through you. Yes, I did. I
0: that's right, Priscilla, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, because my ex-husband was taking English classes with you. Remember, English classes. Okay. Yes, and that's how I I, I met Priscilla and. Uh, started my internship. Um, But anyway, I had lots of positive experiences, really. I don't think I have ever had one negative experience. Um, I would openly talk about it and ask them uh, how they, do they feel comfortable working with me? And even uh, later on, and, and I think you recall this, it was my idea that, Agencies who do the screening process ask, you know, they ask to ask the client like, "Are you okay working with somebody from a different ethnic group, different religious group?" So the client can make a make the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I know there were some people who chose not to work with me because of my ethnicity, religion, my name, how I speak, because mm-hmm. you know I can be a trigger, and I yeah. completely respected that. I would never take that uh, personally because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bosnians have been through so much horrific, tremendous trauma that you know I respected whatever decisions they made. Mm-hmm. But I have seen thousands of people. I mean, in you know 17 years I've worked there. Yeah. Even now, I still have some clients who are Bosnians, mm-hmm. uh, who are refugee. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I you know we worked together kind of peripherally over the years, and I mm-hmm. I, I can say that. Um, I know some Bosnian men who um, worked with you uh-huh. and as therapy clients who really were among the most um, traumatized right. and tortured right. Bosnians under Serbian aggression. And they, I think I told you a couple of them, felt so... Um, they felt so much better after having talked to you and mm-hmm. and to this day they sing your praises they They wrote letters to the mental health board you know praising you so you know kudos to you for respecting their wishes but also for providing such relief to these people that it's, I think that i mean i 'm getting goosebumps talking about it because it's it 's really you know after all the things that happened in Yugoslavia they're finding healing here, but with, you know, somebody else from a quote-unquote enemy nation, and I think that's that's really important.
1: Right, so when it comes to therapy, I think the most important ingredient is the relationship, you know? Yeah. So, as I said earlier, I felt a responsibility to really do something, yeah. you know, to, to help, and, and I feel like people genuinely can feel when you are speaking from your heart and when you care um, so taking responsibility you know or acknowledging what happened there yeah. it's important and uh, and as I said genuinely caring
0: you know? the only thing I did hear from some people was that they they were afraid some of them were were hesitant to open up to you right. about right. really what happened because they didn't want to hurt your feelings right. because right. they didn't want to blanket you know make a blanket. Condemnation of all Serbs or right. Montenegrins, right. so that was the mo- that was the biggest hesitation I heard, more yeah. than anything against you personally.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, and you know um, that's something we would talk about honestly because uh, I mean I would always bring that up. Yeah, you know, because it was kind of like an elephant in a room. You have to
0: right. talk about it. Right, right. You
1: know? So yeah.
0: what percentage of ref- let's say refugees? We have a lot of refugees in St. Louis now from many countries. What percentage of them would you say suffer from PTSD? Can you, do you have any sense?
1: Honestly, I will have to say very large. I don't know what the percentage would be. You know, when when, uh, <laughs> I, when Bo- Bosnians came here, those who were younger, in their 20s, they worked so much. Some of them have two jobs, you know, they had young children. They were kind of in the survival mode. But they couldn't even process their trauma. What I'm seeing now is, you know, they're in their 50s, and now all that PTSD—it's mm-hmm. coming up. I see that so often, because you know they're they're older, they're becoming exhausted, they're run down, and they just cannot keep up with that tempo, you know. So mm-hmm. lots of um, them are seeking therapy now. So it's PTSD that's kind of delayed.
0: Yeah, a lot of them. I remember a lot of them were working you know, as you say, two and three jobs. Yeah, and then yes. when the economy turned out, I shut, you know, slowed down and I guess in late 2000s or something, mm-hmm. a lot of them got laid off. And when they were out of that routine of working and being exhausted and they had time to kind of breathe, then a lot of times the memories would come back.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But even though a high percentage of people suffer from PTSD, the the vast majority are still able to function, right?
1: Yeah, they're extremely resilient, very resourceful, resilient, you know, um, strong people who care. You know, Mm -hmm. they they care about uh, this country and they want to, you know, they educate their kids and Mm -hmm. really care about their Community and neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only say. I can only say that really. I personally had only positive experience. Yeah. All Bosnians I have met, which mm-hmm. I have met thousands of people over mm-hmm. the twenty years. You know. And
0: what? I don't want to get into all the trade secrets, but what this therapy consists of? Sort of like telling the story and and um, kind of owning it. Is that part of it?
1: Well, PTSD is very, very complex. Like the therapies that I do, it's not just talk therapy. You have to work on emotions, you have to work on a body. I do some brain-based therapies, like they work on like a deeper subcortical parts of the brain. You know, um, I look into intergenerational patterns, Mm. early life experiences. There are multiple factors that need to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. Um, I look into, you know, Protective factors, you know, there is a, there is a lot uh, that I pay attention to. When mm-hmm. I um, work with clients who have PTSD.
0: Let's say uh, uh, one of our listeners um, has a neighbor or a friend or a coworker from another country that mm-hmm. that is here as here is a refugee and maybe one day starts to for whatever reason, starts to talk about um, having been tortured or having lost family members or some traumatic thing that happened back home, should a layperson um, kind of shut that conversation down not wanting to make it worse and trigger, or, or or is it is it therapeutic for them to let give them the chance to talk and you know respectfully listen? What what what's the best solution for a layperson person like that?
1: Yeah, I think that's an important question. So I will have to say, you know, first it's super important to be kind and compassionate and show empathy because for refugees who come here, they have been through so much trauma, and I just think it's extremely. Uh, difficult, so um, I will have to say it depends on a person. If if somebody looks like they are adjusting pretty well, be kind, listen to them. You mm-hmm. know, you know, um, ask them for for a support. Like, how, how can I be there for you? You know, what you know, is there something that they can you can do to to help them? But if somebody who looks like they have really they are struggling, and maybe it looks like they have mental health issues. It might not be helpful if they share their story because they can be triggered, they might have panic attack or a flashback and then mm-hmm. not know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best agencies here in town that works with refugees, Bilingual International Assistance Agency, and I highly recommend them. They have mental health services, social services interpretation, immigration lawyer, so they really, uh, that's an excellent resource. So mm-hmm. I would recommend more like connecting them to Agencies like that, or asking them like, "How can I support you? Mm-hmm. What, what's something that you need?" You mm-hmm. know,
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. okay. Have you ever? I, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, that you're saying that you didn't feel any discrimination against Bosnians, but have you felt discrimination? In other ways, in the United States, as a, as a fill in the blank, whatever you, all the many things you are.
1: Gosh, yes, uh, and you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, when I was working at the center, there were times I was excluded from meetings because there was an assumption that I would be a trigger. You know, so I was excluded from some mental health board meetings. A
0: trigger to other providers
1: to, to do Bosnians like so if there was a support group going on oh. let's say Bosnian men concentration camp survivors oh. and other therapists were attending the support group I was asked not to come okay by my american therapist colleagues okay um, and as you remember there were meetings with mental health board uh, related to like sh- you know assumptions that maybe I shouldn't be working with Bosnians because again you know because of my ethnicity um, or religion my name or how I speak it could be a trigger but those were all really assumptions like I, I mm-hmm. honestly n- never had a negative experience and you know you have seen, you have more experience than anybody working with refugees and actually after that experience which was really shocking for me to be excluded because of my ethnicity uh, we came up with the idea to, you know, uh, during the screening process, at place for people, ask clients. You know, and have client make a decision mm-hmm. if they want to work mm-hmm. with me or a, a American therapist. Mm-hmm. And most of them really chose to work with me because it was uh, because of my reputation and because uh, um, and bec- because it was easier for them to speak in you yeah. know directly to me r-
0: rather than you know via interpreter. Do you have a kind of a different accent when you speak the language from them? Yeah. Is it identifiable to yeah. them? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And is it is your accent a quote-unquote Serbian accent? Or is it a little different?
1: It's different. Okay. You know, Montenegrins have a different, different accent. Okay. Yeah.
0: So confusing. Such a small country with such diversity. Yes. Um, do you go back to your country sometimes now?
1: Yeah, pretty much every summer. I just couldn't go during COVID, but I go every sum, summer with my son, and I stay about two to two and a half months in telehealth, mm. and then I do some trainings there, too.
0: Now, you've done training a number of times in Europe for yeah. the Serbian Ser- therapists.
1: Serbian and Montenegrin, mm-hmm. therapists from Croatia, from Poland. Um, yeah. And then, you remember Ugandans? We, you know, center right. for for uh, therapists from Uganda. That's did, right, they I came here. them as well, yeah. yeah.
0: Are you, did, does your son speak yeah. Montenegrin or Serbo-Croatian or whatever?
1: He can write, I wish I taught him how to write, you mm-hmm. know, but it's Cyrillic. Really, it's not that easy. Yeah. But he can speak, yeah. That's he's great. He's 19 now, he's in college.
0: Does he like going over there to Montenegro? He
1: loves it, he loves it. He will, he <laughs> always says like, oh, maybe one day I will live there, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and do you think you'll ever go back to live there, or is this home now?
1: I love Saint Louis; it will always be in my heart. But i i don't I don't seem I don't think I will stay here forever. I think I'll probably go to Montenegro, maybe live there six months, and then, <laughs> and then with my son, wherever my son is, like near him, not with him, but near How? near him. He wants to stay in California. Oh in boy, San
0: Diego now. And you you said Montenegro is so small with a small population. Is it after what? Fifteen years of independence or whatever—is it—is it doing okay economically? It's politically
1: doing okay. Could be doing much better. Our government—it's kind of corrupted. I have to be mindful what I say because mm-hmm. I do go there every summer, yeah. and my family lives there. But um, you know, we have. All these opportunities to live really well, yeah. you know, because of tourism, yeah. but the government is not
0: um, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite there yet. Yeah, all right, exactly. Well, is there? We're almost out of time. Is there anything you'd like to say, kind of just like a a message to St. Louisans? Anything you've noticed about the U.S. that good or bad, or any final thoughts, I, words uh, of wisdom?
1: I mean, I'm grateful that I came here. I I will, I wish we could. I love that you are doing this because I like looking at the different cultures and looking at what's working. Mm-hmm. I wish I can kind of marry elements from both cultures, mm. you know, moving yeah. forward. Like yeah. hey, what's working here, and what did I learn in my own uh, country? Kind of like yeah. earlier I mentioned, you know, I'm all pro education, free education for all, free yeah. healthcare. Like that should not be a luxury, yeah. you know, and. Well,
0: somebody's got to pay for it, though.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I feel like we spend money on a bunch of other stuff. I feel like that would be, that's important, yeah. you know. Uh, pay more attention more when it comes to mental health because look at yeah. what's going on, you know. Yeah, we, we should really uh, invest in maternal care so moms can spend more time with their babies, yeah. you know, rather than going back to work uh, after eight weeks. Yeah. You know, um, and lots of people cannot even access healthcare here. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to wait for a long time. It's super expensive. I mean, my deductible is 7,500 because I'm in private practice, you know, so I wish some things would change, but there are lots of things I love about this culture too.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story. It's been really a good conversation. I wish we had more time to talk, but anyway, thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to Stories of New Americans on 101.994.1, News Talk STL. Please join us next week.